Good morning. My name is Mark Campbell. Dean Smiley, Mike Wortham, and I uh, have the honor of leading our church body in uh, the sacrament of communion this morning. Communion is a time of somber remembrance and celebration, remembering both Christ's sacrifice, but also that he arose from the dead and that Jesus is alive and well so that we can be with Jesus Christ for all eternity. All who have trusted in Christ Jesus are welcome to participate in communion, both here and at home. If you've not trusted in Christ, now is the perfect time to do so. Christ died on the cross for you and me. And if you place your trust in Christ and him alone, you too can have eternal life. In Isaiah 53, the prophet foresaw the hatred and rejection by mankind towards the Messiah. Isaiah 53, 5 through 7 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us have turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. At this time, let us take a moment and prepare our hearts so that we can be right with God by asking for forgiveness for our sins, and to reflect on our relationship with Jesus Christ and with each other. Father, thank you that we are seen as white as snow. And have gained access to your presence by the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we come before you in humility and awe to accept your death as penalty for our sinfulness. As I take the bread representing your life and body that was broken for me, I celebrate your faithfulness to me and to all who receive you. I can't imagine the pain and suffering of your crucifixion, yet you took that pain for me, and I will thank you for your unmerited favor and love. Thank you that your sacrifice has given me eternal life. I now receive this bread in remembrance of you. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. Jesus, thanks for your shed blood. 
that it covers all my sins for eternity. And that brings me in right relationship with you and the Father. I'm always amazed to think that it works perfectly, that there's nothing I have done or will do that your blood doesn't fix. Amen. Father, I thank you for loving us. And I thank you for your glory, your magnificence. Thank you that by the blood of your Son, we by faith in that sacrifice can be in your presence. Speak to us from your word this morning, Father God. Let these words be from you and not from me. In Christ Jesus, amen. We're going to continue this morning with our foundation of the gospel series from Genesis. There's a lot of scripture this morning. I'll try to keep this to a minimum. We may be here till second service starts. There were two trees, so we're going to back up just a little bit because <clears throat> there were two trees in the garden, and it's very important for where God has us today about the flood to remember that there were two trees that are mentioned in Scripture. Very important that we understand them. The, the one that caused the problem is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve ate from that tree. They rebelled against God. Everything changed. The other tree is the tree of life, and we'll look at that a little bit more in a minute. I want us to go back, though, to what occurred after they sinned. And I want to begin in Genesis 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So here we see Adam and Eve have fallen, they've sinned, and God covers Adam and Eve's nakedness. And God symbolically covers them spiritually. And in this episode in Genesis, we, we see God's plan for salvation. God found an animal and killed it and skinned it. I don't know if you've ever thought that through, but he didn't find a, a lamb and, and shear it and, and turn it into wool and, you know, and, and, and weave them something. He found an animal and he killed it, skinned it. This was the first physical death. The first physical death was a sacrificial death to cover Adam and Eve's sin. What a marvelous picture of what Jesus was going to do and what Jesus has done for us. He voluntarily went to the cross to die for us. So we see this same idea clear back in Genesis. Let's go on, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man... And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
Very important concept. God made certain that Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. If God had allowed Adam and Eve to stay in the garden and eat from the tree of life, they would have been eternally evil. God graciously removes them to keep them from the tree of life. After Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, sinfulness becomes a part of the biblical narrative. So Adam and Eve have sinned, they've been taken out of the garden, and now you just see repeatedly throughout Scripture this, this wickedness, this, this sin. As the number of people on the earth multiplies, wickedness multiplies as well. One of the things that we start learning as we go through this is that God is, is patient. He's very, very patient. But His holiness must be upheld by His justice. And eventually, He runs out of patience. Let's go on to Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. In verses 6 and 7, God is grieved. He has regret. He's sorry He made man. What is happening is God is expressing what He feels using human terms. God's not sorry because He didn't expect there to be a sin problem. God knew exactly that sin was going to multiply. His regret, His sorrow is tied to the fact that now He has no choice but to bring judgment upon all humanity. As we go on, even in this we see God's grace and mercy. Verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah was a sinner like you and I, but God calls Noah righteous and blameless because Noah lived by faith. He did not rebel against God in the same way as the society around him. The book of Hebrews records Noah's faith this way. Hebrews eleven seven by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Let's go back to Genesis six. Continue the story, and Noah had three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits the breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. 
This is an astonishing thing, and this isn't probably new to any of us here this morning. It's a familiar story. It rained. God says there's going to be a flood. And Noah believes God and begins building. That's a lot of faith. His life of faith was different than the lives around him. Here's this old man. Can you imagine? The old man in your block, and he's building a boat in the backyard. And not only is he building a boat in the backyard, but it takes him 120 years to build the boat in the backyard. Do you think there was any mocking and ridicule? I think it would have been intense. But Noah remained faithful, and he tried his best to to represent God to the wickedness around him. The ark, as God describes it, is really a big rectangle. It's just a big rectangular wooden box. It had no means of propulsion. It wasn't going to need to be steered or propelled. It's not going to any port of call. All it needed to do was float and be large enough for all the animals and the eight people that God would save from the flood. We can analyze the design, and it's perfect. It's, it's a design by God. We also know that the, the volume of the ark was about 1.5 million cubic feet. And someone years ago, I don't know where this began, but somebody calculated this would be equivalent to, to 522 railroad boxcars. <clears throat> a boxcar at that time, whenever these figures were made, would hold about 240 sheep. So if you had 522 boxcars with 240 sheep, you'd have a total of 125,000 animals. Sheep are larger than the average animal in the ark, most likely, because Noah probably didn't take a full-grown elephant. He took immature animals. What this means is that there would have been more than enough room for two of every species of air-breathing animal in the world. It truly would have worked. Let's go on. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing on the, of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Genesis 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, Forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. 
Noah was 600 years old when the flood of, the, of water came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went with him into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two male, female went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Jephthah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded and the Lord shut him in. It's a familiar story, and I love to read it. This is also the most severe judgment ever. No other calamity has been like it. There have been floods, tidal waves, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, hurricanes, and wars. But there has never been any natural disaster or man-made disaster as dreadful as this worldwide flood. About 1,650 years after creation, God's judgment came. His patience came to an end. The rain came, water came up from the earth, and the entire population of the earth was drowned, except for Noah and his sons and their wives. <clears throat> Let's read some more from Genesis and let God speak to us. Verse 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains covering them 15 cubits deep. And all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostril was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. The waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. As we read that passage, this is history. This is not a myth. This is not some fanciful tale from the past. This is history. It's factual. And the main reason that I firmly believe that this is history is because Jesus said so. Jesus refers to this. Luke 17, 26, Jesus says, Just as it was in the day of Noah, so will it be in the day of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark 
and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus refers to this as history. Jesus taught Noah was a real man. Jesus taught that the ark was real and that there was a real flood. This is factual history. Noah believed God when no one else believed. And his faith was sufficient and God delivered him and his family. The flood is powerful evidence of something else that's coming. And that's, that's the final destruction of the earth. Sometimes we might wonder, why, why did the flood happen? And the, the answer is actually fairly simple if you, if you pay attention to the word. Men and women, all of society, with the exception of Noah and his family, they turned from God's truth. They rebelled against God. People became corrupt mockers of God. Sound familiar? It's about 4,500 years later, and we're seeing the same kind of human wickedness. Men and women turning away from God, rebelling against God, mocking God. In Matthew 24, Jesus tells us also what's coming. 2436. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, but even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Just like with the civilization at the time of Noah, no one knew when God was going to do something, but not the specifics of when. He was just obedient. He was ready. Jesus is coming. And the earth will be destroyed. Are you ready? Christ is the ark. Believe in Him. Be saved from the next worldwide cataclysm and eternal judgment. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in what you have given us in your word, you have shown us that you have incredible patience. But you've also shown us that your judgment must be fulfilled because of your holiness. You do not change. Father, thank you. Thank you for the example that we have of the ark that saved Noah and his family. Thank you that we have Jesus, who 
who's calm, who's died on the cross and risen from the dead. We put our faith in him. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our ark. Father, forgive us when we don't look to you. Forgive us when we don't display our faith. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts to glorify our Savior, our God, in all that we do. And let us live like Noah, waiting expectantly for the marvelous future that we have hidden in Christ. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.